If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube or you're here in person, we're really glad that you're here and watching. Uh, today we're continuing our discussion on community. Uh, we're just going to hang out here for a while, maybe weeks, maybe months, but I think it's just too big of a topic, especially when there's an attack on organized religion. Now listen, I'm not even talking about our government. I'm talking about Christians who just don't, you know, they've been hurt, they don't want to go to church, so now they're just saying that the organized church is a waste of time now. When God started it, why would we now in 2021 say it's, it's useless and it's, it's, it's irrelevant? You know, he's coming back for a bride. Do you know who the bride is? The church. That's you. The church is made up of people. The kingdom is made up of people. So to say that we're supposed to end our time together as a body, worshiping him for who he is, I mean... It doesn't even line up biblically. doesn't make sense. Some of us have pulled away from church because we were hurt. And the Bible actually says, when a, well, we, we'll read a little bit about it today, when a little piece of us is missing, we're not whole, and we don't have the impact that God has called us to have. So if you're called here, work it out. Work it out with God, and if you're offended by somebody else, work it out with someone else, because the body cannot function properly without you in it. You get that? That's why this is so important. Because there's a message now that the enemy is spreading is that church is irrelevant. Nobody in there is perfect. Well, good. Well, they all think they are. Well, yeah, okay, so we'll have some Pharisees here and some sad UCs, sad UCs. We'll have some hypocrites. But what a better place for hypocrites to attend. Where do you want them to go? To the bars on Saturday night? I mean, come on. I don't go there because there's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, good. I want hypocrites here because I want them saved and changed and transformed. And I'm more worried about me being a hypocrite than you being a hypocrite. Because I got to be careful of the plank that's in my eye instead of watching out for the sliver that's in yours. Come on, right? Just worry about yourself. And if God has called you here, you get your butt here. And lean into it. Because we love you. And we need you. That's what you're going to hear today. We is more important than me. That's the title of today's message. When I look at the church in the book of Acts, I see four elements that seem to be the glue or the fuel for that applying community. And I didn't even really until this week because I once again, I said, Lord, are you ready for us to go into the book? Are you ready for us to start the book? And he's like, no, remember you wrote a word down. I remembered. I went to my phone. It wasn't there. I went to my handwritten notes. There's notes everywhere. I don't even know when we'll get to the book. And I saw the word. And I went, oh, yeah. Then I went back to the Church of Acts because I knew that word was in there, but I was looking for the other three words that we talked about. Remember, the first element that they had was relationships. I saw it in there. Remember parts one and two of this series, the relationship hurdles. Remember, you are not alone if there are people around you. So in order to know each other, in order to know each other's needs, in order to know each other's struggles so that we can help one another, in order to know each other's victories so that we can celebrate with each other, we have to have real relationships, not Sunday morning relationships. Those are shallow. You can't have an hour and a half marriage every week. You cannot. That's why we only play videos a couple hours at night. That's it. Because the rest has to be, right, just, just looking at my life group. 
They also had a second element that we talked about, unity. They were one. They were unified, one-minded in one accord together. It is part of God's plan. That unity is what causes supernatural events to take place among his people. Unity. They also had the third element that we spoke about last week, love. Love of God and an amazing amount of love for others. And we talked about fruit to the Spirit coming out of that, right? When love flows, fruit grows. (laughs) I came up with that myself. When love flows, fruit grows. Our love for God and for others is what will cause the fruits of the Spirit to ooze from our every pore. So for today, I want to talk about the fourth element that I see in the book of Acts. You may find 12 more this, right now. This is the only four we're going to focus on until I get in my office on Wednesday again and start asking God. Four, the fourth element that I see in the book of Acts that made them such an incredible, multiplying community. One could say that next to love and unity, this is the next biggest piece of community. And we're going to spend a couple of weeks on it. Because it makes some of us really uncomfortable. Which is usually a sign that you haven't surrendered it yet. So if I start poking, if you start feeling, I'm not preaching. Someone just said, Keith was saying, Pastor, you don't preach at us, you preach for us. I love that. I've never heard that before. I think he made it up. He's just brilliant. I love it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. I'm going to steal it from him. I'm not preaching at you when I talk about what we're going to talk about. I'm preaching for you. And this makes us a little uncomfortable because we haven't surrendered it, some of us. And here it is. One of the key elements to having a healthy, thriving, multiplying community is generosity. Generosity. Give me time to explain what it means. You want to know why people's needs are not being met today? You want to know why people's needs are not being met? It's not that the church doesn't try to meet needs. We take up special offerings. But most of us would say, my needs aren't being met. You want to know why people's needs are not being met today? Do you want the answer? Because i got to warn you, it's going to hurt. Because we have too many takers and not enough givers. That's why. Me, 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 me. That, that, that's... That's what, really, that's what suicide really is. It's a selfish act. Someone's not meeting my needs. So instead of worrying about meeting someone else's needs, they're worried about someone meeting their need. And when it's not being met, they, the enemy comes in, we open the door, and the enemy comes in and says, the world would be a better place without you. So God wasted his time creating you. Think about that. The enemy is a taker. God is a giver. We need to be givers, not takers. We live in a very selfish society. I know you know that. Where we are only searching for how our needs can be met. Do you want to know why everyone's needs were being met in the book of Acts? They they flowed under the anointing of generosity. They lived a very selfless life. Listen, this is what I believe that they understood after watching and, listen, and learning from Jesus as he walked the earth in your notes if you're following along. What other people need is more important than my greed. What other people need is more important than my greed. In other words, we is more important than me. 
Let me repeat that. What other people need is more important than my greed. We is more important than me. Now you say it out loud, ready? We is more important than me because we are better together. We are. You could say, you could also say it this way, you serve God by. So in other words, that kind of tells me it's the only way. It's not, but it's really the big way. You serve God by serving others. There's only one way you can serve God, and that's by serving other people. That's why you're alive. So if you lose that purpose, the enemy is going to whisper to you that you're not making a difference here. What's the big deal? Nobody loves you. It's because you're looking for someone to serve you. You're looking for love in all the wrong places, or there's a hole in your heart that you haven't dealt with, and so not enough people are filling that hole, and so you decided, I'm worthless. Nobody would even care if I was gone. Isn't that sad? How do you get to that dark, dark place? Alan and I had this conversation. How do you get to that dark of a place? So when we talk about generosity, this is what we're talking about, just so you know, over the next couple of weeks. When we talk about generosity, this is what we're talking about, because I don't want you to forget one piece of this. We're talking about your talents. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your energy. We're talking about, here, here's the word you're not allowed to use anymore in church. We're talking about your money. And we're also talking about your possessions. Are you wielding those things for the kingdom, or are you wielding them for yourself? Those are the five areas that we're going to focus on. That's the, dip, the biblical ministry or biblical definition of ministry. Here's what I want to tie this into. Here's, here's where I want to tie this into community in your notes. Are you getting this? God does not want you to minister alone. Ever. Ever, ever. He doesn't want you to live alone, so why would he want you to minister alone? God wants you to have partners in your ministry. He wants you to have companions in your ministry. He wants you to have accountability in your ministry. I hope you all know when I talk about ministry, you're like, well, I'm not a pastor. Who is he talking to? I am talking to you because you are all pastors. You are all ministers of the gospel. It's not just my role. I'm equipping you to be ministers. That's my role. Not to cut the grass, not to fix the parsonage up, not to even side the parsonage, not to paint the church, not to clean the church. It's to, it's to equip you to be ministers of the gospel. And you are not to minister alone. He wants you to have accountability in your ministry. If you insist on being number one, and if, or if you insist on going at it alone, I just want you to know that's a red flag to me. I've had so many people say, well, I don't belong to one church. I belong to all of them. I have had people say, well, I'm going to have an arm in here and a leg over here, and I'm going to have a, a, a hand in here. And I said, oh, please, take your arm and leg and put it over there. Just put it into one place or here. But when I hear that, I don't even want them here. It's just like, go, go take your whole body. What, what do you mean? That means you're only 10% good there, 10% good there, 10% good there. You're not building relationships because you're only there once a month or once a year. This is not even biblical what you're saying. You are to ask God what family I'm to be a part of. And as soon as I get planted there, I get involved and I use my talent, talent, my time, my energy, my money, and my possessions to build the kingdom through that body. And when there's a rogue running around, just like I don't belong to anybody, that's a red flag. 
In fact, the Bible warns to stay away from those people. They're probably false prophets. Careful. No spiritual covering. No accountability. I'm on my own. I'm doing it my way. That is not biblical philosophy. I don't think so. You probably won't be able to keep up with me with all of these passages, but for now, if you want to, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. All the verses will be up on the screen for the most part, but we don't want you to get out of the habit of flipping through your Bible. We should know about the proximity of where Philippians is by now. If you've been following the Lord for 10 years and you're reading your Bible every day, you know, the Bible apps are pretty easy. You just hit Philippians. (laughs) So don't get out of the habit of writing notes in your Bible. I had the privilege of, of laying to rest one of my friends. He wasn't a close friend, but I uh, used to drive bus with him. He used to attend here a couple years ago. Uh, Jerry Fye passed away last week, and I did the funeral on Thursday. And, and um, I had the honor and privilege. I, I heard a pastor last week say, uh, I, did a, uh, I was at the home of a family who just lost a loved one, and I, I saw the deceased Bible on the coffee table. So I picked it up, and I just started flipping through And he said, man, can you really find out what a person is passionate about by reading their Bible? So I asked Teresa if she would bring it in to me, and she did. And I wept and wept and wept. As I saw, I've never, I wish I should have brought it. I've never seen, okay, everybody highlights a couple verses here and there. Jerry literally highlighted almost the entire Bible. Every, the whole page was highlighted in chapter after chapter after chapter. He was passionate about the word of God. That's the stock we should have bought into as highlighters. If I would have known he was highlighting his Bible like that, whoa. It was so amazing. The beginning of this chapter in Philippians chapter 2 is absolutely incredible and crucial for us to understand and get. In the New Living Translation, the first two sections are titled, Have the Attitude of Christ, and then the second part is, Shine Brightly for Christ. Have the Attitude of Christ. The second part of the NIV is titled, Do Everything Without Grumbling. (laughs) We got a room full of whiners. I'm thinking if we are to imitate Jesus, we better pay attention and study this out on our own. If it says have the attitude of Christ and we're supposed to imitate him, I better pay attention. So you're going to have to read this whole chapter on your own. I'm only going to cover a couple verses, just verses one and two, really. Listen to how Paul starts this chapter out in verse 1, Philippians 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Do you receive any fellowship when you hang out with the Spirit? Have your hearts softened yet? Are they tender? Are they compassionate towards anyone? Then, if they are, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly as a church, as a body, with each other, loving one another, not one day a week, not for an hour and a half on Sunday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, having them over to your house because meals are the greatest way to get to know someone and love on them. And working together, everybody say working together. Working together. Please, Paul is begging them, will you please work together with one mind and one purpose? In your notes, Paul's passion here is for unity, working together in the body of Christ. He basically preaches our entire series here in the first four verses, and he starts out with with questions in verse one. Has your life changed at all by knowing and receiving Jesus as your Savior? 
Is there any comfort in knowing that you are loved by him? Are you tuned in with the spirit of God? Huh? 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 Has your relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit made your, te- made your hearts tender and compassionate at all? This is what I think Paul wants for the body of Christ. He wants our souls to be knit together. Our souls. We talk about soulmates. Well, I don't know what I believe about that, but, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not even going to say it. I'll get in trouble, but. We only think about that when it comes to having sex with somebody or marrying somebody. But Alan and I are supposed to be soul brothers. Oh, great. What did I start? I should have said Andrew. What did I start? All right. Oh, great. I'm going to be getting memes all day today now. I, no Shaquille O'Neal, okay? Do not send me that one again. We are supposed to be soul brothers and sisters. Do you know what that really means? What is the part of us that we're trying to work out our salvation yet? Our soul. So that means we're here to help each other. If we're soulmates, that means we're going to challenge each other and we're going to bring out the worst in each other because we want the yucky stuff to rise to the surface and we need to deal with it. We don't just leave it there and allow the enemy to cause us to want to end our life when the yucky stuff comes up. We deal with it. It may be true that you are not feeling loved. We're not saying that you're not feeling that way. But we don't let our feelings rule our hearts. Because if they do, you will commit suicide if you don't feel loved. Our souls, he wants our souls to be knit together. And if we do, then we will agree on the things of Christ. And love one another unconditionally like Christ. And never do any of this alone, ever, any part of life alone. Because even Jesus didn't do it alone, remember that? But work together for the good of all people. Do you know what I think Paul is warning against? I actually saw this in a concordance and I was really shocked. Because if you knew my concordances, it's written by four guys way back in the 1800s. It's so hard to read that I have to read it three times sometimes just to understand what they're saying. But this is what came out of my study of this. And it's really appropriate in our political environment today. In your notes, Paul is actually warning against having a party spirit. I want you to think about this. What are we seeing in our society today? Division. We're not seeing unity. You know why? Because we have a party spirit in America now. You either have to belong to one side or the other. And we believe now that we can't even do church together. Democrats and Republicans can't do church. That's, a, that's such a stupid lie. I'm not worried how you vote. I'm worried about how I vote. Let me vote how I want to, my convictions, and I'll let you vote, and I'm not going to say stupid things to you. Right? We see, that it, we see this in our government, and now it's seeping its way into the church. Pride and selfishness that has led to strife and debates, not unity. And Christians who think more of their party than of Christ. Let me repeat that. Christians who think more of their party than of Christ. Can you imagine, though, a government of leaders who lived by the motto, we are better together? Can you imagine that kind of government and leadership? Because they are better together. They just don't know it. They're too prideful now to see it. 
And now there's no encouragement. I'm going back to the verse, right? No encouragement, no love, no fellowship, no tenderness and compassion, no agreements. Listen, no one is working together anymore. No one's working together with one mind and one purpose for the good of others. That's what they were supposed to do in the beginning. It was supposed to be a beautiful thing to have two representatives for our good. And now the enemy has wielded his weapons of pride and selfishness and power and conceit, all the things of the enemy. And now, now that you know what their motto is now? Me is more important than we. My agenda is more important than what I think is best for America. That's really sad when it happens to a pastor. It's really sad what happens to a church when a pastor lives by that motto. Me is more important than we, and that is what will happen. Remember Katie's her prophecy last week. That is what will happen when Christ is removed from the throne of your heart. Me will become more important than we. And you become dis- disconnected from the Holy Spirit and disconnected from your family, the body of Christ. And you begin to do things alone. And you think your way is the only way and your way is the best way. And we can't allow this in the church at all, right? Selfish and pride and party divisions have no place in here. Encouragement, love, fellowship, tenderness, compassion, agreement, working together for the good of others. That, my friend, is what will rule and reign in this house, in this house, as long as I'm here. Not our attitude or opinion, but the attitude and the mind of Christ. Can I get an agreement with that? Right? Now, where were we before I started getting fired up? Um, God doesn't want you to minister alone. So why does God require this in your notes? Why can't you just serve God on your own? Well, number one in your notes is because we are family. I got all my brothers and sisters in. Forget it. That's a 70s song, something 60s, 70s. I don't even know. Chester would be able to sing it for you. That's why I covered the offense part last week. We're family. That's why you can't do it on your own. Well, I don't feel like family. Well, don't go by your feelings. If you're here, you're part of a family. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 from the NIV says, for we are what? Co-workers in God's service. Do you know what this means? Do you? (laughs) This means if you're in God's family, In your notes, God wants you to get along with us. (laughs) And some of you, I have irked so bad, and you still have to get along with me. We have to work out our differences. So come to me. Let's work it out. Stop sitting there with so much offense and hatred in your heart towards me. Let's work it out. If I've done something wrong, I'll be the first one to fall to my knees and beg for forgiveness. I'm not not bigger and higher than, than offending people or begging for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. This is real, folks. We have to work out our differences and get along. For those of you who are new to our family, this is why I I wanted our number one spiritual goal when I moved here 15 years ago. We're going to have 15 years, April 17th. 15 years ago, my number one goal that I went to the leadership team was this, to be unoffendable Christians. You know why? 
Because the church cannot be fighting inside when there's people going to hell outside. We don't have time for it. There are people dying and going to hell. So we can't be fighting. We have to love and work things out. Proverbs 19.11, and this is the verse I got it from. A person's wisdom, well, I got the verse after the Lord spoke it. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory. To what? Wow. That's a verse you need to put on your mirror and in your car and in your bedroom and in your living room and on your TV and in your kitchen and above the sink and at the table. Before I go to work today, I will forgive anybody that offends me. I've decided in my heart that I will forgive you before you've offended me. Now, I want you to understand something. When God gave this to me and people that have been with me for 15 years, they've heard this. It doesn't mean, everybody say it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you will never be offended. You will. But you either overlook it, forgive them quickly, or before they even do something to you, or if the offense is too deep to overlook, you follow Matthew 18. And you and you work it out. That's what Matthew 18 says. In your notes, and as I study community out with you, I'm really starting to think, I'm really starting to think that God might be more interested in the relationships that you build while you're serving than the actual thing that you're doing. He may be just more interested in the relationships that you build while you're serving than he is in the service that you're doing for him. This is what I've told all of my leaders. Anyone leading a ministry, you have to do some fun stuff outside of the coffee bar. You have to have a meal together outside of cleaning the church. Lynette has planned a meal for her cleaning team. It's more important that you build relationships than just doing the act of service. I hope that's what you get. That's why we want you new people to sign up for something so you can begin to build relationships. Tear down the walls of fear and worry because you were hurt by another church. Forgive them and learn from it and move on. And what they did to you will be a red flag now. You learn from it and you'll say, yep, I see that. I I know that person. He was in my last church. And so I'm going to be really careful around him. But you forgave them, but you learned from it, right? God may be just more interested in relationships than us, what we're doing when we serve him. Because like we said last week, the kingdom is people, not works. Works happen when we love God, we serve. But it's more important to have friends and to know people. Why can't you just serve God on your own? Number one, because we're family. But also, number two, because we need each other. I've got news for you in your notes. Nobody has all the talents, all the gifts. Nobody has all the money. I I wish one of you did, but nobody has all the resources. Nobody has all the time. And no one, no one has all the energy. But we are, say it loud, babe, because they're not listening. Yes. I think you're starting to get it. And you know God did this intentionally so that you would need me? (laughs) He has a sense of humor. If you need me, he has a sense of humor. He did this intentionally because he knew Jerry would need Mark Lutcher 15 years ago. (laughs) Poor Jerry. I saw him. I'm so sorry. He did this intentionally because he knew I would need Jerry. I need you more than you need me. 
And we, he also knew we would need each other, right? And he knew that we would form a relationship. Romans 12, 5 from the New Living Translation verse says it this way. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. I want to sing a song, but I can't think of it. I just know it's we are family, but. The message version of that, which I thought was interesting, a little, a little more gruesome. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body, but as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? <laughs> it's great. We are family. You better lean into it. I need you and you need me. And we need we. <laughs> we need we. It forces us to have relationships, and it forces us to be generous. God is always pushing us out of our comfort, isn't he? He's always squeezing us into discomfort. So you better start leaning into this at some point because it's not going anywhere soon, anytime soon. And if he has called you here, you can't run and you can't hide. I know I'm repeating myself because I'm trying to beat it into your heart. Why can't you just serve God on your own? Number one, because we're family. Number two, because we need each other. Number three in your notes. It's also because we get more done. Fact. Drop the mic moment. I could just end right there and pray. We do. We get more done when we're together. Ecclesiastes 4.9 from the good news version. The good news version. I bet you never heard of that. Two are better off than one. Because together they can work more effectively. That's why I use this version. Two are better off than one because together they work how? More effectively. So in your notes, what that means is teamwork multiplies effectiveness. We know this. It's not a profound, new profound statement, but I'm wondering why we are seeing less and less of this in the church. Here's why I think, if you want to know, pick up your toes. Because we're focusing on our kingdom, the one that will burn up and fade away, and we've taken our eyes off his kingdom. Do you know that people want the church to show up when it comes to their kingdom they're building? But when the church asks them to show up to build the kingdom, very little show up. So very little gets done. Where was the shift in our hearts? Because my grandparents, they did not do church that way. The church and what was happening at the church was way more important than building their kingdom at home. It was, but there was a shift, a selfish shift. Say that 10 times. Don't say it. You're going to swear. Don't say it. You're going to swear accidentally. Where was the shift from God's things to my thing? And I just have a question. I just want to know. I don't want you to answer it. I just want to see action. When are we going to start banding together again in unity as a whole and start actually loving our church instead of just saying that we love our church? Do you know God actually wired us so that we would feel most alive? Listen to me. God wired us so that we would feel most alive when we're part of a team that's accomplishing something for God's kingdom. Because teams get closer to each other to get more done and have more fun. Do you even know that God wants to use you in ways that you've never expected? We count ourselves out. We believe lies. I could never serve in children's church. I'm just not smart enough. You may say, what do I have to offer? I'm just here to tell you that God's saying to you, you have something, 
but you don't have enough on your own. You do not have enough on your own. That's why you need other people in your life, right? Besides having the favor of God and an open heaven above them, but do you know why other churches are more fruitful than others? Because the people of the church joined the pastor, banded together for an eternal purpose, and served one another. Dead silence, I knew it. Making you uncomfortable. Because I don't want chair warmers here. I want busybody bees. Serving each other. And when you do that, it builds an incredible, unstoppable team that can accomplish great things for God. And the people outside these walls, that's what they're attracted to. A group of people that's going somewhere. That's just serving each other because they love each other so much. A group of people who are not fighting, but working together for the good of others. Not alone, doing your own thing, or just sitting and warming a chair every Sunday, but getting involved together to build the kingdom. So I just want to shift a little bit as we close this out. That means there's another 10, 20 minutes. The connection between generosity and community. The connection. When we're generous with each other, we draw closer to each other, and that creates community. Let me repeat that so you can write it in your notes. When we're generous with each other, we draw closer to each other, and that's what creates community. It begins with generosity. You giving your time, talent, energy, money, possessions. In other words, in your notes, well, Matthew 6. Let me read Matthew 6. And this is from the New Century Version. Boy, Pastor Mark is digging deep this week. (laughs) New Century Version. Never heard of it before until this week. Your heart will be where your treasure is. We all know the other versions of this, right? I love this one. Your heart will be where your treasure is. In other words, in your notes, whatever you put your time, money, and energy into, that's what's going to attract you. It's where your heart will be led. They say you can tell a lot about where someone's going if you just look at their checkbook, their finances. So I just want you to hear this. If I'm generous with you or the poor or with anything or anyone, that's where my heart tends to go. Every time I give to God, it draws my heart closer to him. Every time I give to you, it draws my heart closer to you. The first Christians were famous for their generosity. They were family. They were they're sharing with each other. You know, it was completely voluntary. No one had to beg or plead with them to give, tithe, or lend. Think about this for a minute. As parents, we think this is important to teach our children because one of the primary lessons of life is learning how to share. When you see your kids being unselfish, aren't you really proud of them and happy with them? Well, God is the same way. When he looks down at us and sees us being generous with each other, he goes, that's my boy. That's my girl. You're doing what I want to do for you. Why is God so proud of our giving? Because he's a generous God, right? After all, he gave his one and only son for you so that you don't ever have to die. That's pretty generous. Come on. God is generous because he wants us to become just like him because generosity con- uh, creates community. Luke 16, 9 from the New Living Translation says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to what? Benefit yourself? Benefit others. Does that mean he doesn't want you to have a nice house and a nice car? No, but figure out how you can leverage that for the kingdom. 
Don't just hoard it for yourself. Invite people over to share your beautiful home. Invite the pastor to ride on your gorgeous boat on a Sunday afternoon. Come on. I want you to see because I can't afford one. So please, I'm, that's not where this is coming from. That, just, that was just a flesh thing. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Huh, whoa, wait a minute. It just hit me. I don't have any friends. Nobody reaches out to me. The Bible says in order to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. Now they're telling you how to do it. Share your boat. <laughs> Let me borrow your massive four-door truck someday that I can't afford. Actually, I have a four-door truck. I can't afford it. Just, yeah. Your 2022 four-door Chevy Silverado. There you go. More specific. The Lord told me to be more specific. 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19 from the Living Bible says it this way. Tell them, tell them to use their money. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm telling you. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need. Always being ready to share. Are you ready? Do you have it in your wallet today in case right at the end we ask for a special offering? Or are you like, oh man, I, ha- I have so many bills. Angel and I are working on trimming our bills right now so that we can be ready to share more. Be ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is, only a, it, it is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. I absolutely love this passage. In your notes, generosity is an investment. It's an investment. Every time you are generous with the poor, a friend, or a neighbor, God says you're storing up treasure in the bank of heaven. Think about this. Your time on earth is only about 80 to 100 years. You will spend trillions of years in eternity. So think about that. Where do you need to have the biggest bank account? Heaven. I want you to think about this. You may think, well, I'm not giving to any camp in in Iraq for, for ISIS survivors. What if one... What, what if one of them is, is an ISIS and he's going to grab a gun one day and kill him? What if one of them's in the next Billy Graham? Amen. Why do we live with that negative Nelly attitude? What if the, one of them's the next Billy Graham and he changes the whole European nation over there? Come on. I'm like writing a check out to Alan right now. Your investment in heaven, by the way, is protected. It pays good rates. There are no risks, and there are great dividends or rewards. Listen, so you're not, you're not going to get to that kind of investment anywhere else. You're not going to get that kind of investment anywhere else. So I want to close by... Oh, that's the second time I said it. I want to close. <laughs> I, I want to close by talking about that last part of verse 19, because this is what I, I really am closing. This is the last part of verse 19, and we will continue this conversation next week with part B of generosity. But for now, I want you to see that you don't have to wait until heaven for a reward. I love this last part of verse 19. And they will be living, living on earth. What's the Trinity's goal for living in community? Do you remember? It's the next word, to be fruitful. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Rick Warren gave an illustration of this. It's called How God Responds to Your Generosity, and this is what he said. I heard a story about a man who took his son to McDonald's and bought him supersized french fries. 
On the way home, some of those fries smelled really good. So he reached over and he took one little French fry out of his son's carton to eat it. His son got upset and said, Dad, you can't have that one. These are my fries. The dad immediately, immediately had three thoughts. First, my child has forgotten that I am the source of all fries. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. By the way, I paid for the order. Jesus paid for your sin. I handed them to him, and I'm driving him home. The only reason that he got any fries is because of me, the great fry giver. (laughs) Number two, my child doesn't realize that I could take those fries away in a second if I wanted to. Or on the other hand, he doesn't realize I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to because I have the power to do either. Number three, I didn't need his fries. I could have easily got my own. I could buy myself a hundred cartons of them if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. Those three lessons are the same ones that God wants you to learn, so let's write them in our notes. You can be generous with other, so that you can be generous with other people. God wants you to learn this. Three lessons that God wants you to learn about generosity. Number one, God wants you to remember that he is the source of everything you have. Don't come at me and say, I earned it. Well, not without God. You didn't, because he created all things. (laughs) So if he tells you to give that four-door 2022, now I'm going 2022, 2022 Chevy Silverado to your pastor, guess what you have to do? And you, 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 can't, you can't worry about it. Penny and I were just having this conversation this morning. She's leveraging a property for the kingdom. And she's going to lose money for leveraging it for a ministry here at this church. And I told her, be expecting God to double that. Be expecting. I'm going to. You would have nothing. You wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for God. He created you. He chose you. And he gave all that you've got. Now, that doesn't sit well in a society of selfishness. Even some of your hearts right now, you're thinking, what are you talking about? I earned my stuff. Remember I said, if you're feeling that, then you haven't surrendered something yet. Second lesson that we can learn about generosity, God can take it all away from you in an instant. Or he could double it. Because he's got the power to do so. Thirdly, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He just wants you to learn to be unselfish and generous because through that, you will learn to trust him. And through that, your faith will be built. You will be a stronger Christian when you really give something away and learn to trust him to make up the finances that you're losing. Listen to the heart of God on this matter. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, the living Bible. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not only be enough for your own needs but plenty left over to give joyfully to others we're going to we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week maybe listen to what i've learned about this last thing i want you to fill fill in in your notes 
God may not give you everything that you want, but he gives you everything that you need. Why? So that you can be fruitful for the kingdom. So this is what I think this means. I think God wants us to long for what he longs for. I think he wants us to desire what he desires. So what I think he wants to give us first before any fleshly item, if we ask, are the fruits of the spirit. Do you know that that will multiply into financial blessing and possessions? He wants us to put him first. Remember that sermon we did? Him first, the priority. But I don't want you to miss this too as we close. He does promise you abundant blessings. Why? So that you can share them. That's why. If he blesses you and you just hoard it for yourself, he's going to stop the flow. We're not supposed to hoard it for ourselves. Did you hear that? He promises abundant blessings so that you can share them. You get to keep part of it. You get, to, you get to enjoy yourself, but he wants you to share your boat with me. Let's stand. Let's stand. Stay with me. I know you smell those french fries. God says that if you will practice, everybody say practice. practice. That means more than once. That means it becomes a a lifestyle. If you practice generosity, he will give you everything you need, plus more. I want the more. I'm ready for the more. But I have to get my own finances under control because one of the reasons why I don't have more is because I'm in debt. He hates debt. I believe it. And I got myself in trouble. I'm not blaming him for my debt. I did it. So I'm not going to blame anybody but me, and now I'm working my way out. Andrew's really encouraging me and helping me because he's on a mission as well. So that's what's coming out of this life group. Just really he just really challenged me last night and just said, he goes, are you with me? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. We can help you with that. There's, there's a thing that, called the debt snowball that's just absolutely brilliant. Do you realize that God has so many storehouses of blessings in heaven right now? He's just looking for a pipeline to earth. He's looking for someone who's willing to say, God, use me to bless other people. And then he just opens that pipeline and the blessings just start rushing down into your pocket. Let's ask God to help, help, help us make this a lifestyle. Are you ready to ask this? We're going to continue this next week, but I hope that you're getting it. We is more important than me because we are better together, right? We have more time together. We have more energy together. We have more money together. We have more resources together. We have more gifts and talents together. We have more kingdom impact together. And I I, I really mean this. It's not for me. I don't care about numbers as far as what I report. We can't afford to miss a Sunday together. I'm I'm encouraged that you all set your clocks ahead because we're going to be feeling it this afternoon. We're going to feel like it's jet lag. I'm encouraged that you're here. Keep it up. Do not fall out of the habit of meeting together. You know what this means? Here's the last hard truth. This all means that me has to get out of the way of we. Father, help us with that. Deal with the pride and selfishness, the old nature, the old sinful nature in us. That's what we're doing, Lord. We're asking you to look for those weeds in between the seeds and yank them out of pride and selfishness and this me attitude. 
and this lie that I don't, I don't, I'm not worthy and, and I don't matter and no one loves me and the world would be a better place without me. Yank that weed out right now in the name of Jesus so that that person can get busy building the kingdom with his family or her family, the church of God. And sign up for a ministry. Get involved. Come to the events and sign up to serve. And serve together with us so that we can have a greater impact. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for continuing to work out our salvation because this is a difficult topic, especially when we get into talking about tithing. Receive the more with closed fists. The only way is when we open and give away and leave them open for God to dump more in there. We can't live with closed fists. Lord, help. Help us in this garden in our heart to not let the root of money come in and hoard it all for ourselves. And the not begging you, the pastor is not begging you for your money because... God does not need your money. He wants a surrendered heart that says whatever I have is because you have given it to me. I will do what you ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.